Welcome to Finding Holiness, where we delve into timeless Torah wisdom, revealing the sacred in everyday moments. Join us on a journey to elevate your spirituality and discover holiness in every aspect of life. I'm your host, Rabbi David Kadosh, and together, let's embark on a path of spiritual exploration. I hope you enjoy this next episode. Erev Tov, everybody. Welcome to another edition of our Monday night class when we're studying the Amidah. Based on the wonderful Sefer, we are beginning tonight, part one of two, on the fifth blessing, the blessing of Teshuvah. The Beracha of Teshuvah follows the Beracha of Bina, understanding, based on a Pasuk in Nishayahu, it says, And his heart will understand. And he will repent and be healed. So first, we have concept of understanding, Yavin, and then Veshav, concept of Teshuvah. The Ya'abetz gives another reason for the order of the Berachot. It was only after Adam HaRishon ate from the Etz Hadat did he sin. And thus he needed Teshuvah to repent. So it was the Etz Hadat that gave him the uh, the ability to understand and, and more knowledge. That was the Bina. And then he required the Teshuvah. The Mishnah and Baba Kama actually sheds light on this idea. The Mishnah talks about four different characteristics of damage. And one of them refers to man as a potential of damage. And refers to man not by the name Ish or Gever, but rather Mav'e, Mem Bet Ein Hei. So Gemara says, or uh, it connotes a man's ability to, to repent. How so? Man has this ability to exercise free will. It enables him to be as damaging as an animal. Yet he's distinguished from the animal if he causes um, damage to other people or to himself, be it physical damage or spiritual damage, he can repent, he can correct the situation, can return to Hashem. So after the Beracha for intelligence, which distinguishes man as a free will being, comes the Beracha of Teshuvah, which enhances that free will. Before we can understand and look deeply into the blessing of Teshuvah, which is the, the Beracha for divine assistance for Teshuvah, we need to understand what Teshuvah is. Uh, the essence of Teshuvah as well as the components that come along with it. And that's what today's shiur is going to be about. Rabenu Yonah, known famously for his Sefer Sha'arei Teshuvah, opens by explaining the great kindness that Hashem bestows onto his people, we the Jews, and he allows us to repent and accept our Teshuvah. Chachamim tell us that Teshuvah is one of the things that preceded the creation of the world. And its efficacy is, is a wonder, says the Gemara Masech Pesachim. Now, when you think about it at first, at first glance, uh, this greatness of Teshuvah is somewhat difficult to understand. Teshuvah is defined as this sincere regret of a sin that was committed and a resolution 
not to repeat the offense again. If I was to approach someone who I hurt, someone who I insulted, someone who I belittled, with such uh, an, uh, uh, such force of forgiveness that it really, really came from my heart, you would expect a rational response from the individual to be positive. Uh, okay, I'm going to accept. Uh, I'm going to accept the repentance. I'm going to grant forgiveness to this individual. He's coming to me crying. He really, really regrets what he did. If so, if that's the case, how a normal human being should react when he hears that type of regret, then why is it so wondrous for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who is the Mekor, the source of all mercy in Rahamim, who is described to be full of mercy, why is it so wondrous for him to respond so positively and accept our Teshuvah? So this is a very big question asked by the Chachamim. Rabbi Left gives an unbelievable Hidush. He says, there are two ways to understand the, the basis of all mitzvot in the Torah. According to one way, one perspective, the mitzvot are really commands of the king, God being Melech Machia Melachim. And the purpose of it is to, to teach us discipline and compliance. Um, it's not intrinsically beneficial or detrimental. But if we listen and we comply, we're rewarded for accepting HaKadosh Baruch Hu's command. And if you rebel and don't do so, then the opposite will be punished. That's one way of looking at the mitzvot. Another perspective is that the mitzvot are like the advice of a doctor. Uh, the, 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 the Borei Olam advised us which actions and objects in this world are beneficial for us, which are considered healthy, which are detrimental, and which are harmful. According to the first perspective, the reward or punishment is extrinsic to the mitzvah. It comes from the king himself. According to the second perspective, the onish, the reward or punishment, is intrinsic to the mitzvah of the avera. So both aspects are inherent in most mitzvot, but we actually do know of certain mitzvot in our Torah for which only one of these aspects apply. Here are a couple of examples. Eshet Yafat Torah in Parashat Ki the law concerning a, um, a non-Jewish female war captive and the process of her conversion and subsequent marriage to the person who captured her. Achachamim tell us that the Torah only permitted this on account of an overwhelming yetzer hara in the heat of the battle. Uh, the rabbis tell us it's better to eat rotten meat that is kosher than to eat rotten meat that is not kosher. And therefore the message that's being conveyed by the Chachamim is that marrying this woman under these circumstances, even though it's not prohibited by the king's command, it's actually intrinsically detrimental. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as a doctor, still advises us not to eat this rotten meat, even though in his role of a king, he refrains from prohibiting it. An example of the opposite type of the mitzvah is one that comes from the king's command, but doesn't have really uh, an aspect of the doctor's advice is bringing children or babies to the mitzvah of hakel, 
once every seven years on the holiday of Sukkot after Shemitah, the entire Jewish people are enjoined. They all come to Yerushalayim to hear the king read sections of the Torah. And the Gemara Masechet Chagigah questions the purpose for the Torah commanding to bring the babies. What's the reason? Um, and we say it is to bring reward to those who bring them. Reading for the parents. They bring a reward for bringing the children. In any event, the babies would have to be brought because there was no one who was exempt from the mitzvah that could take care of them at home. And and they're, bring, they're brought to the Bet HaMikdash. So now, in terms of the doctor um, way of looking at things, there's no reason for this. It's not, there's nothing happening to the child as a result. However, the king saw it fit that their presence should be there so that they should get reward and reward to the parents who brought them. In the end of Parashat Ekev, discussing the mitzvah of, of Tefillin and Mezuzah, there the Midrash writes that the reason why we keep these mitzvot, Tefillin and Mezuzah, is so that when one day we return to Eretz Israel in the time of Mashiach, they should be, they should not be considered new, meaning we should be used to this. The Ramban on this Midrash says that mitzvot basically apply only in Eretz Israel because that's where HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a direct connection to his people. And for that reason, says the Ramban, that before the Torah was given, the Avot observed the Torah only in Eretz Israel. And that's why Yaakov Avinu married two sisters when he was in Chutz La'aretz, when he was outside of Israel, because he wasn't allowed to do so in Israel. Everything changed, however, when we received the Torah. Once we received the Torah, we were commanded to keep the mitzvot even outside of Israel. Now, what is the deeper message of this Ramban? What the Ramban's actually saying is that the intrinsic aspect, the doctor aspect of the mitzvah, is limited to its full quality in, uh, uh, to Eretz Israel. That's where you really get the the umph of the mitzvah. But the command of the king, the aspect of the king, that extends even into Chutz La'aretz. Prior to giving the Torah, before there was a command of the king, the only basis for keeping the mitzvot was the intrinsic benefit. And that was only uh, work in Eretz Yisrael. Through this, we, we have actually a new understanding for the need of atonement for sin that is committed unintentionally. If I do an avera that I didn't mean to do, it was beshogeg. I, I just forgot. It was it was a total accident. Surely, Akadosh Baruch Hu understands in such a case there was no intent to rebel. And he would not demand atonement to avoid punishment because he knew that I made a mistake. It wasn't something that I intended to do. But even an unintentional act something that the doctor tells you not to do, but you did it, there's a negative effect to the body that comes from the sin itself. And therefore, there's a need for the antidote of atonement. And that's why Chachamim also say, they learn from a, from a pasuk, that if a person intended to eat non-kosher food, that was his kavanah, to eat pig, he thought this was pig in his hand, he was about, and he ate it. 
but accidentally he ate kosher food. He took the wrong one and he ate uh, a, a kosher piece of meat. He still needs kapara. He still needs atonement. Because although the intrinsic detriment is not there, but the intent to rebel is punishable by the king. So it works both ways. Now, this is the kindness that the Chachamim were referring to of Teshuvah. The king, God as king, for sure is going to forgive a truly, truly penitent sinner, and he's going to refrain from punishing him for his rebellion. But I can't just say sorry to the doctor for ignoring or doing something that I wasn't supposed to do. Saying that one is sorry to the doctor cannot fix the ill effect of ignoring his command. So I have to have Teshuvah as the, as the antidote for the intrinsic effects on my body. And that's the miracle of Teshuvah, says Rabbi Lef. And that antidote is affected by regret and commitment not to sin again. Teshuvah in reality is three-pronged. Again, you have charata, you have regret for the transgression, you have kabbalah al ha'atid, you have a commitment not to do it again, and of course you have vidui. Vidui is the verbal expression of both of these thoughts. Now, when coming from the lens of the king, the king cares that his subjects do not rebel, and they don't repeat the rebellion. And they become faithful in the future. So therefore, the commitment for the future addresses the king aspect of the sin. I'm not going to do it again. That's what the king wants to see from his loyal servants. On the other hand, the, the pain of harata, of regret, for the past, that's the antidote that uproots the intrinsic effects of the sin. So that addresses the doctor aspect. Really, really, really sorry. And that's going to fix what, uh, that effect. Then you have the vidui. The vidui is the verbal confession. That's the medium that enhances both of the aspects. The verbal, um, the verbalization of the commitment not to, to sin again, in cr- making a powerful statement, saying, Ashamnu baganu, it's like, a, it's like a vow, it's like a promise. And that helps a person not to perform the avera again. It also serves as a, a vehicle to remove the avera and the effects from the neshama. Because when you speech is actually directly connected to the neshama, as brought down in many holy sefarim, and therefore, by actually reciting the words, ashamnu, bagadnu, gazalnu, we're now separating the, the sin and the effect, the negative effect from our neshama. At the end of Parashat Devarim, at the end of Sefer Devarim, sorry, the Torah tells us that after Moshe Rabbeinu's death, the people are going to stray away from the path and they're going to serve idols and they're going to suffer many, many misfortunes. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, on that day is going to hide his face for all the evil that is, that that uh, that the person has done. The role of Vidui and its connection to redemption from sin is based on the Ramban on this Pesukim. The Ramban says that although people are going to make an admission and they're going to feel regret, the Vidui is not going to be complete. And that's why Hashem has to actually continue to hide His face. 
but the situation will not be as it was before, where Hashem was hiding His mercy and allowed evil to just befall the Jewish people. Um, rather, it's a, it's a hiding of the ultimate redemption. We're just waiting for Mashiach, so Hashem is just hiding. But, but Hashem will, conti- will, will still give us good. So now, we have to figure out again what this Ramban means. The Ramban, the, the, the works of the Ramban on Chumash were very, very deep and esoteric and often contained a lot of um, profound ideas. The Ram, what the Ramban is trying to say, what the Jewish people did and what they were missing, to understand that we have to focus and understand what the function of Vidui is in the Teshuvah process. The Sefer HaChinuch writes that there are two ideas, two, two benefits to the verbal confession. First, you're enunciating, like we said, with words, um, the, the Teshuvah, the repentance, and that gives a person the feeling that he's actually conversing with a second party. If I do something wrong to my friend, uh, I can stare at my wall and say, I'm sorry, but I'm not really doing anything. I have to actually go to my friend to say I'm sorry, and he has to accept the apology, and that's the, the conversation that I'm having with him. Same idea when I'm when I sin to Hashem, the vidui is that conversation, and that feeling actually sensitizes him to the reality that Hashem is there, and Hashem knows his actions and his deeds, and then there's an accountability to him. That's number one. Number two, through vidui. The teshuvah makes more of an impression on a person and, and actually prolongs uh, uh, the effect. Um, teshuvah also requires a commitment not to repeat the sin. And that commitment has to be decisive. It has to be firm. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu can actually listen to you and testify to the intensity of what you just said and your resolution not to do it again. And just like when you make a neder or a promise, and that rec- and through through words, you have to come through, anything that comes out of your mouth you have to do, as the Torah writes with regards to a vow. So too, when you make a commitment to Teshuvah, that's like a kilu neder. You have, you're verbalizing that, and you have to keep it. Besides that, there's also this idea of vidui being a, a tefillah, a supplication for atonement. Um, when a person re- recites the vidui, there's that recognition of how serious the damage he caused through his sin, both in his relationship to his fellow and his relationship to Hashem, and as well as the relationship to himself. To his, to his own neshama. And therefore, a person who prays to Hashem to, uh, uh, so that he should forgive him um, is not only that, but rather that he should heal the damage that he's caused to his neshama. Um, the, the Maharal actually writes uh, famously that an avera, a sin, is only incidental to the neshama of the Jew. But it doesn't blemish the neshama itself. The neshama is actually a chelek from Hakadosh Baruch Hu. It's perfect. But what it does, averot place layers of impurity that separate the Jew from the essence. We'll call them barriers, 
And the more Averot a person does, the more barriers and separations he has that is preventing him from connecting to his soul and thus his connection to Hashem. And since one's connection to Hashem is through that essence of the Jew that remains forever holy, pure, untainted with sin, so when a person becomes distant and detached from his own essence, he also becomes distanced and detached from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Teshuvah acts as the path of return. That's what it means to return. To return the Jew to his essence and breaking down those barriers that were separating him from Hashem. Hashem does not leave when the Jew sins, but rather the Jew loses contact with Hashem who still resides inside of him, in his soul. And that's what the meaning of the Pasuk, Ani Yeshena Velibi Ayr, which means, I am asleep, but my heart is awake. Chachamim explained, my heart here refers to Hashem. Though the Jew sleeps, and though the Jew loses consciousness and contact with Hashem, nevertheless, Hashem still occupies a place in his heart. And therefore, in order to properly approach the Teshuvah as a return to that essence, a person has to remove those layers of, of sin, um, those separations. And that is done through a proper vidui, by articulating sin, by expressing the sin. And that's how we externalize it and detach it from, from us. Therefore, the vidui becomes an act of purification. The Lifne Hashem Titharu, actually the Targum Yonatan writes, on that pasuk on, that we recite on Yom Kippur, Lifnei Hashem Titaru, he writes, he substitutes the word Titaru with Titvadu, which means you shall confess. So we see confession and vidui are mamash in line with, with purification. It's an act of purification. This also explains the analogy that the rabbis give in the Gemara in Masechet Tanit to describe a person that confesses his sin but doesn't resolve to commit uh, to, to not commit it again. He's likened to a person who immerses in a mikveh while holding in his hand a sheretz, like a creature, a tameh creature, a reptile that defiles him. It would seem that the one who confesses without ceasing uh, to sin accomplishes nothing at all. So therefore, why is it even compared to an immersion? Why do we even call it an immersion? Even though it's invalid. Why are we even saying he's done nothing? So. The answer is, if Vidui, if Vidui detaches the sin and externalizes it, yes, it's likened to an, an, an immersion that isolates the body in the purity of water, where no other barriers of separation can be found. Yes, you are holding a, a Sheretz in your hand, but the water did do something. There is a purification of the soul there that is... That is uh, that is noticeable, and therefore, and therefore, um, although it is not the opportune way to, to do it, but nevertheless, this is what we um, it's still considered somewhat of a of, of a fix. Um, so therefore, Chachamim tell us that vidui is that mode that we have to use to bridge and rectify and please Hakadosh Baruch Hu as the King. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the doctor. Teshuvah is actually literally a redemption. Shuvu elai ki ge'altiha. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. A person redeems his own 
untainted, unblemished essence from the clutches of the evil inclination and the impurity of sin that 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 uh, caused it to stumble. And therefore, when a person fails to comprehend this aspect of Teshuvah in its redemptive form, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu also will hide his face, like we said, his face of redemption, until one finally comes to this recognition. Our understanding of Teshuvah, says Rabbi Lef, can also be enhanced by knowing or relating it to the day that is the, he calls it the personification of Teshuvah, the deadline for Teshuvah for the entire year. And of course, that's Yom Kippur. Um, we are on Yom Kippur, we are commanded to achieve purification and Teshuvah through Vidui. And the Torah emphasizes that that has to be done, Lifne Hashem. Again, Lifne Hashem Titaru. In the presence of God. Actually, Rabbi Akiva in Masechet Yoma famously states, Ashrecha Yisrael, how fortunate are you, Yisrael, in the presence of whom do you purify yourselves and who purifies you? We see that Vidui and Teshuvah have to be performed, the Rambam, the Rambam, sorry, in Teshuvah writes, the one who sinned and desires to repent has to confess. Before Hashem, Lifne Hashem. He actually uses those words. What's the significance of Lifne Hashem in the presence of God? What does it mean that we have to confess in front of Him? We quoted before the 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 passage in Devarim where Kadosh Baruch Hu told us, told Am Yisrael that after Moshe's death, we're going to sin and suffer misfortunes. In the midst of that suffering. We're going to declare that due to the fact that Hashem is not in our midst, that Hashem is hiding His face, and that's the reason why we have all these misfortunes. And because of that, He's going to hide His face even more. Says the Sephorno that the Jewish people mistakenly think that Hashem has abandoned them. And therefore, they're not going to pray, because He's gone. He left us. We're not even going to do Teshuvah. We're not going to return to Him, because they feel it's just a waste of time, because Hashem is not to be found. Sephora says a great mistake because Hashem is always with us. Like we said, Hashem is in the heart. And the, the reason why we're suffering, the reason why calamities befall Am Yisrael is not because Hashem left us. On the contrary, they're a result because people are ignoring Hashem's presence and not realizing that He's constantly next to us. So it's not Hashem's absence that causes the misfortune. It's their failure to recognize that He's there. The failure of Shiviti Hashem, that God is always standing in front of me. And when that happens, that causes Hashem to hide His face even more. In the last mitzvah written in our Torah, the Torah gives us a mitzvah for every Jew to write his own personal Sefer Torah. Truth is, Hashem actually commands us to write the song of Ha'azinu. You should write this song. But since one is prohibited from writing portions of the Torah separately, so the whole Torah has to be written, and that's how we know that we have to write the whole Torah. Why did the Torah use the Shira as a means of implying the mitzvah of writing the entire Torah? Truth is, it's quite difficult to understand because David Melech in uh, Sefer Shemuel, was punished 
for referring to the Torah as Zmirot. Uh, he actually quoted in Tehilim, but nevertheless, it is uh, the story comes in, in, in Sefer Shemuel. So how can the Torah be referred to something as a song if David HaMelech called the Torah Zmirot and, and was punished for it? There's a difference between Shira and Zimra. Shira is an expression of the essence of something, of every object, every creature. All the heavenly bodies all sing Shira to express their function and their essence in, in, the, in their own creation. Zimra, which is also a song, Zmirot, but that's connected to Zemira. Zemira is pruning. It's an external stimulus that strengthens the, the essence. So, Ashira l'Adonai b'chayai azamera l'Elohai be'odi. I will sing Shira to Hashem. I will sing a song to God, which is the very essence of my life. But I also sing Zimra azamera l'Elohai be'odi. I sing Zimra with the extras. Od. What's Od? More. Extra. That's the external. That's the additions to, to my life. Torah is the shira. Torah is the essence. It's our life. It's the spark that enables us to exist and enable the whole world to exist. It's not something that is external. David Melech incorrectly gave the impression that Torah is not the essence of life, but rather it's just a stimulus to life. It's an extra. And that's why he was punished in Sefer Shemuel by forgetting that the Aaron Kodesh, with the Torah and the Luchot inside, had to be carried by the Levim and not put on a wagon. That was the famous story. He put it on a wagon, but it needed to be carried. And that eventually led to the death of Uzzah, Uzzah who went to, to put his hand on the Aaron, thinking that it would fall. What does that show me? That indicates that the tra- that, uh, of the tragedies that take place when Torah is separated from the person, when it's viewed as an entity to itself, rather than being seen as something essential and cannot be separated from the Jew. Hence, every Jew has to write a Sefer Torah because the Torah is a Shira. It's the essence of our existence. It's specific. It's unique to every individual. We have to write a Sefer Torah for ourselves. We cannot just take it from somebody else. In Parashat Kitavo, the Torah introduces a mitzvah called Vidui Ma'aser. In every three years, a Jew is required to complete all the terumot and ma'asrot and distrib- distribute it to the people. And he has to declare, this is the vidui, he has to confess and declare that he has done everything properly. And he didn't deviate one detail from what he was supposed to give. Chachamim asks, how can this declaration of righteousness, because that's basically what it is, I, I did everything right. How is it called a vidui? How is it called a confession? Confession is usually associated with something of, of guilt, of sin. So the answer is that confession actually uh, intimates recognition of responsibility. One admits that he is liable to a certain mode, to a certain way of behavior, and he's accountable whether he fulfilled that responsibility or not. That is the lifne Hashem. That's the confession that we have to be in front of God, in the presence of God. It's the recognition and the admission that one is always in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu 
And that relationship is what creates responsibility, liability, accountability. And comes Yom Kippur, we confess our Averot, not out of a feeling of abandonment from Hashem, that God has left me, but rather of the recognition of how essential Hashem's presence is in our lives, and how, unfortunately, we have placed barriers, how we have separated from Him. We fail to be aware of Hashem's presence, and it's not He who abandoned us. That's one of the reasons, if not the main reason, why on Mincha and Yom Kippur, we read Sefer Yonah, Sefer Yonah, the whole book, to emphasize what? That a person cannot escape the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yonah tried to do that. Yonah wasn't interested. Go go save the city of Nineveh. I'm not interested. I'm just going to hide. I'm going to go into a ship. No one's going to see me. Eventually, Hashem is there and He wants you. And He wants you to recognize that He's there. Bidu is a quintessence of Teshuvah. It represents the fact that our essence is pure and that sin is that external hindrance that needs to be eliminated, needs to be thrown away, and that enables us to return to that pure essence. And that's the deeper significance of the Avodah Yom Kippur as, as brought down in the Holy Sefarim. We send away our sins out um, and remove that, those impurities so that we can really, really appreciate the pureness of our Neshama. That is the significance of Teshuvah. That is the significance of Yom Kippur itself. Through that process, we can actually truthfully, wholeheartedly say, we are in Hashem's presence. He has not, and He will not abandon us. Rather, our very existence depends on Him and our Torah. We are obligated to acknowledge that constantly. We are obligated to return to that constantly. We are accountable for those moments where we might be insensitive to that idea, where we forget that and we ignore that essence. We are obligated, we are responsible, we are accountable, and we have to do Teshuvah. And we pray every day that we do that in, in our uh, in our vidui, in our tahanun, and as we're going to see every day in our own amida, that we recognize this concept that gives us the, the, the push that we need to make us want to return to that divine essence through doing Teshuvah. And by doing that, we return that spark that is within us to its pure and holy state. Always Lifne Hashem. This Rabotai is the introduction to the fifth Beracha, the Beracha of Hashivenu, something that we recite three times a day for all these reasons that we just said. And Bezrat Hashem, I invite you to join me next week as we will look into the Beracha, dissect it, and find out the secrets that the Chachamim embedded in this holy blessing. Wishing everybody a wonderful night.